This is the Editor's Half Hour. Step into the life of an editor for 30 minutes as we discuss the craft of editing, industry trends, and editorial resources. Your host is co-founder and CEO of Peak Publishing, Inc., Nadia Jaja Pupa. She is experienced in all facets of the publishing industry, from editing to design, and works with corporate clients and self-published authors. Nadia and her guests are about to share powerful insights and stories on what it takes to be an editor. And this is your host, Nadia Jaja Pupa. Welcome, listeners, to the Editor's Half Hour. Today, we have an excellent interview with Erin known as Erin Service or Erin Survey. I've heard her name pronounced two different ways. Erin is amazing. I am so excited and I'm going to try to keep my excitement uh, normalized. I'm going to try to not be too crazy, but Erin is so much fun. Erin is an editor, an educator, a coach. She's an instructor. She's my teacher. She's teaching AI for editors. I am a student in her class. And I am learning so much about AI, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Erin, I have so much more I want to say to introduce you. You are the coolest editor. (laughs) All of my guests are cool. And I treat them like celebrities because I truly feel that the the people on this podcast are celebrities. You're a big name. Everybody knows you. Oh my gosh, you are making me (laughs) blush. My cheeks feel heated. I don't know what to do over here. (laughs) It's just so much fun. I am so excited. I have so many questions for you today, but I would love for you to please introduce yourself. Tell us what you're doing now, because I know your focus, you are 100% focused on AI right now. I don't even think you're not really doing much editing work, are you? I am not. I have one author whom I've been working with on this book for a year now. Um, Wow. Yes. And it's about technology, coincidentally. Whoa. So I've been working with him on okay. his book. And, uh, and other than that, I have been completely focused on teaching AI for editors. Mm-hmm. I've shifted quite I'm a shifting. bit into teaching and it's been wow. really fun and exciting. And uh, I love meeting wonderful editors like you, Nadia. And speaking <laughs> of two names, I know that I um, accidentally called you Natalie once. So <laughs> I, think, I think we <laughs> we just answered to Whatever is called our Whatever. direction, don't we? <laughs> I knew you meant me, and I wasn't going to make you feel bad. Ah. It's happened. So, you know, you're not the first one. Other people have called me Natalie, and I'm like, you know, I look like a Natalie. I take that as a you compliment. kind of do, actually. Well, and I knew, out there. I knew your name was Nadia. It's just out came Natalie. I don't know why. That's okay. It's all, it's all good. <laughs> um, I just, there's so much to say, but let's just go back to the beginning on AI. I mean, it really started to become a part of our conversation. It was a conversation topic at the end, I want to say end of last year, maybe maybe middle of last year. The very first episode of the editor's half hour was about AI. And my memory was that I didn't really use the words chat GPT. I used generative AI or AI generated content. And so now I, after that interview, I, I pulled up chat GPT for the first time and it freaked me out. So yeah, I want to know about you, Aaron, what was your first exposure to this topic? What was your first reaction to it? Were you, did you recoil? (laughs) I did did recoil my first experience with chat GPT. Uh, But in 2022, I 
was playing around with some large language models that created fiction. And it was so much fun because they would they would just come up with the most bizarre stories, way stranger than I think my brain could ever come up with. And it was fascinating. But ChatGPT was the first one that I uh, played around with that created um, nonfiction factual things. And okay. what freaked me out when I first experienced it was these uh, sensational news articles about how it was making stuff up and making up news stories. And I, I tested it with my own bio because I thought, okay, well, I know what I've done. I'll know if it's telling the truth or not. Oh and it said some things that were true. And then it said some things that um, I asked it to write a bio about me. And oh it filled in some pieces that sounded like they could be true based on what else it could collect about me. Like it said, I was a professor at such and such university. Thank you very much for thinking that of me, but that wasn't true. (laughs) And it really was freaky that it faked it so well. And I was really scared about the impact it could have until Mm -hmm. I realized and I learned how chat GPT works and how it works on a text prediction process. So it wasn't um, trying to just make things up. It was figuring out what's the most likely next word in the sentence. And it wasn't meant for users to take that as being true. It was just, that's how it worked. It was making its best guess. And the piece that was missing at the beginning of all of this, when it really hit the mainstream, for me, I was seeing more and more about ChatGPT this spring, was that mm-hmm. education piece. Yes. I think that they needed to come out and explain what it is, what it does, how it works. But because people didn't have that, like me, we mm-hmm. all just freaked out. <laughs> <laughs> and when I learned how it worked, then I became less scared of it. Yeah. And now we don't have to worry so much about those hallucinations is the really fun term for when it would make things up because it can access the internet now and it has, it can pull much more recent information up to date to the moment information. So it's much, much, much less likely to be more creative than we intended. Yeah. Yeah. That should be reassuring for fiction writers, um, editors who are working in fiction. Um, it's there, it's, it can't fully replace, right? I mean, that's the thing that's everybody that everybody's worried about and talking about is, is it going to replace jobs? And it has, I mean, I've heard of some jobs that have been replaced by it. Uh, there's, there's that scary side of it, the underbelly Mm -hmm. of this topic. And, you know, I I'm trying to stay open, but I am leaning more on that side of the doom and gloom side of like, Oh my God, this, uh, horrible outlook with AI and how it's replacing not just editorial jobs or writer jobs or, uh, art design. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so much out there that people are kind of freaking out about. Um, so you know, I don't want to only focus on that aspect of it. That's usually where most people go, right? When it's brought mm-hmm. up, I have a quick story to tell you, your jaw's going to drop. Uh, I was talking to a really awesome editor today 
who, you know, this topic, like I said, it will always come up. It's been coming up a lot in conversation, casual conversation. And she was in an interview with a candidate who was like, they could hear the candidate typing in <gasps> like, yes, yes. They're no. asking the interview, the interviewee, the questions mm-hmm. and the person, they could hear the typing. And then there was always a, a little pause. And then the, the person would like respond and chat GPT. They're basically interviewing chat GPT. Um, my jaw dropped when I heard this. Like, I mean, no, no. Oh, like, like I would say that's a, it's a poor use of yeah. chat GPT, uh, live chat GPT in an interview. Have yeah, I yeah. used chat GPT to help me write a cover letter that got me a job? Yes. <laughs> And it w- it was helpful because I did not know the correct format for a cover letter. <laughs> and it was using my actual factual information. Uh, but it's a little different if you're live like, answering live. questions in an interview. That I would say no slimy. to that. <laughs> yeah, that's like total slimy. So hmm. you're, people have all these stories, you know, and I'm sure you've heard some other ones. Uh, and it, and it's putting like a really bad taste in our mouth for like mm-hmm. using it. But I also have learned a lot in your class. And when we met and had a quick one-on-one, I told you what my reaction was when I saw this class <laughs> and you were cracking up. I see this thing that Aaron is, you know, promoting this AI for editors. And I think I saw, I caught wind of it around the summertime. That's what I, I launched like, it in August. In August. Okay. That makes sense. And I thought about it and I was like, no, I'm not taking a class about AI. I don't, I want nothing to do with AI. And then, you know, that feeling, I probably kept that feeling for about a week, then, then another week. And then I was like, uh, I feel like I need to take this class. Mm -hmm. Like there's something, I, I really don't think it's a good idea to have this attitude about it. I think it's a stupid idea to just push it in the, push it, push it down or, you know, ignore that AI is out there. I wanted to do that so bad, but then I realized, Hmm, I need to be on top of this. I need to understand really the nuances behind this because you're going to keep hearing some weird stories. Like the one I just told about this interview. Uh, so I want to hear from you, Aaron, what, what, what made you look at this as a, as a, opportunity for editors what when when what was it that clicked and you were just like wait a minute let's not freak out (laughs) let's really educate ourselves when was I want to hear your thought process in that moment and what kind of inspired you and prompted you to do this class because again I'm I'm really hard plugging this class I appreciate it thank you and I'm doing this for a reason though because I mean, I could take a class from somebody, but this is an editor we're talking to. Aaron is an editor. I would much rather be led by an editor um, because I am an editor. So, I mean, that just makes, it's just common sense to me. But anyway, going back to the question, Mm -hmm. what, 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 what was your thought process when you were like, okay, something needs to be done here. Somebody needs to talk about it. Somebody needs to educate other editors about it. I want to hear everything. Well, I do have to say that there are two camps and two types of people who take my class. And one are people who are interested in technology. They love this. They're super excited to learn about all the capabilities. They are very much uh, foot on the gas excited. And then there are the people who aren't thrilled that this is happening. 
at least at first, that's how they approach it, but realize and accept that this is a technology that is not going to go away. And it's something that we need to learn about. So I actually understand both sides to that (laughs) and have felt both ways about it at different times. And when I decided to uh, basically completely have a a job shift, a career shift toward focusing on teaching this is early this summer, I'd been playing around with ChatGPT to test how well it could copy edit. And I realized that it did a really good job. And this was months and months ago. And we've had like 10 years of technological advancement in the last few months since then. Yes. Uh, But I realized that it can do a really good job at what we do already. Mm -hmm. And that means that this is something that everyone is going to need to learn how to work with, learn how to use and see how it's going to change the way that they work so that they can be prepared when employers and clients start uh, demanding that they use this technology. And in the time between, even when I started teaching the class in August Mm -hmm. to now, I have seen more and more students coming saying that their employers have implemented ChatGPT and that they are expected expected to use it. So there's been that big shift already and it's just going to keep happening. Yeah. So I kind of look at it as you can be put on the gas, super excited about it, or you can be not as excited about it. But either way, it's something that you need to accept is happening is a technological change that is changing the way that we work and changing the way that our employers, um, the way that they expect us to work, the nature of our job roles. So you need to learn the technology. It's like learning how to use a computer. People had to do that whenever they shifted from typewriters and word processors onto desktops. And that's just this kind of shift. It's a change that's happening. It's here. So let's learn about it. Yeah, I love that attitude. I think it may may take some editors longer than others, you know, to kind of warm up to the idea of just just understanding what it can and can't do. Um, And, you know, not have as much attitude because I'm trying so hard not to have attitude. (laughs) And for a while, I'm like, well, it can't fact check. And but it can. A, now it can. Right? It absolutely can. It is remarkable because I used to say, full stop, it cannot fact check. Do not right? use it for that. And then right. I, I wrote a big, very long time consuming blog post about it. And I deleted it last week and wrote oh, a new post that said, it here's the guide to fact checking because AI can fact check now. It's, an, it's insane. This is like the most up to date. Like this is just recently that we we discovered last that. Week? Yeah, last week we discovered <laughs> that it can fact yeah. check. Yes. And by the time this recording comes out, which it's it should be December 1st is when this will come out, I'm sure there will be more updates. And absolutely like what a week or so away from that. Mm-hmm. So it's it's so how fast are you seeing? Because you're more up to date than I am, 
how fast is it updating things? What is happening? We can't keep up. (laughs) It has been challenging to write an up-to-date course about uh, instructing editors how to use ChatGPT when it is constantly changing. I have had to update every lesson, every time I've taught it. And we're not talking like a few months in between lessons. We're talking, sometimes it's only two weeks and I'm updating it because there have already been significant changes. So I am uh, listening to podcasts, hours of podcasts, reading for hours every single week to keep (laughs) up to date with all of the changes so that I can pass that on. I appreciate that so much. You have no idea. You're the go-to expert, editor expert on AI. I'm going to come to you with questions. (laughs) Hey, Erin, did you hear about this? I mean, you're probably going to hear about it before I do. Uh, It's, it's crazy. It's crazy how, how fast it's, it's um, updating and how it's getting more and more sophisticated, which is also kind of like scary, but it's Mm -hmm. also freaky. And, um, but that's what's happening. And so, okay, getting back to what we were saying about uh, the perception, you know, in our community, the editorial community, um, let's just come up with a scenario. I want to know what you think or how you would respond in this scenario. It may or may not have come up. Maybe it's come up in conversation in a corporate setting, staffers united in a room, in a court, in a courtroom, <laughs> I meant to say conference room, uh, in a conference room somebody brings up AI, somebody brings it up there. Let's say this, this, uh, corporate entity is producing educational materials and they have maybe a small team, maybe one editor who outsources additional work to other editors. I mean, realistically, that's a lot of editors I meet are kind of the only editor, um, giant corporations probably already are, have implemented AI in their, in their, uh, process. So, in that scenario, in that situation, what would you say if somebody said, Aaron, you're, let's say you're the editorial director and they say, Aaron, we need you to start implementing AI into this process so that we can create more content on a quicker turnaround or edit more quickly. Uh, what would you say? Would you be like, like, well, I guess this is more a twist on the question. It's almost advice to an editor who may be in this actual situation. What would that editor say from your perspective? If they are wanting to, coming into the conversation, wanting to implement ChatGPT? Executives in a meeting come to you as the editorial director and they're like, hey, let's, let's start talking about AI. And you're like, mm. Like, what do you say? What would you say in that, in that conference? Well, I would say, yes, let's absolutely start to do it. Okay. Um, And I would say, let's start with training the AI system on our style guide. Whoa. Okay. Yes. Yes. Talk about something else that just was possible last week with uh, custom GPTs. That's getting real technical. We don't have to go into all that. But I now there is a way that um, everyone, including mm-hmm. companies, can have like their own private mini chat GPT. Um, and you can upload documents to that. And you could upload your style guide to that. And then have it have text be run through it, mm-hmm. checked against the style guide and, and 
have any variations fixed to be mm-hmm. like, like healthcare is one word or two, depending on what your style guide says. Okay. And start using it that way. Okay. Um, start using it with internal communications. All of these okay. uh, internal guides, uh, employee handbooks, yeah, internal corporate reports, have it start helping with the writing and the editing of those. You can input the data that it needs to use mm-hmm. because the big concerns right now are one about uh, whether it, the text can be copyrighted. Mm-hmm. And where we are right now is waiting for the copyright office to figure its mind out about this. Because mm-hmm. right now it's saying that it cannot be copyrighted if you use generative AI to create it. So that's why a lot of companies are avoiding using it to write external communications. But internal communications, sure. Okay. And the okay. other concern is the data privacy, which is yeah. becoming less and less of a concern now that there are several different options out there of how a company can uh, incorporate generative AI into their workflow and keep the, their data kept within the organization. And there's new security um, security available that wasn't a few months ago when people were very concerned about this. And it is a valid concern. And now there are solutions. So let's seek them out. Okay. I love that. That sounds like a great thing to say in a meeting, in a corporate setting, because you're not, you're not coming at it defensively. You're coming at it to say, let's be productive. Let's, you know, make progress on specific projects. Um, You're also saying to the employees that, or I should say executive staff, that it's, it's, um, it should be focused internally. And that's what you're saying, right? Because anything external it's not uh, copyrighted. It's not owned by the, en- the the company or the entity that's releasing it to the wild. It's just free for all, right? That's my understanding of where the copyright office sits at this okay. moment. At this moment. Yes. <laughs> uh, the next time you invite me on your podcast, it may be completely different. And hopefully, I do hope that there is a change that they do allow generative AI text to be copyrighted. Okay. Okay. But we'll see. So for now, it, it works really well for internal things. Okay. And it can do grammar, spelling, punctuation, check yeah. against style guide. It can do yeah. editing that's, you know, not writing, rewriting entire passages. And that you should, I, I'm saying this not as a lawyer. I am wearing firmly my, I am not an attorney hat right now. <laughs> it's invisible, but you can imagine invisible. it. Okay. So that being said, that's my understanding yeah. of where we are right now. In, right in now, this, in this it, moment in time, <laughs> time, time stamp it right now. Yes, I see uh, that so many times yeah. when I'm talking about AI and giving presentations because I know when somebody watches it a few months from now, yeah. it's going to be completely different. So yeah. I say that's how it is in this moment in time. Yeah, because for months I was telling everybody in my circle, you know, well, it can't fact check, and then mm-hmm. like what? And all of a sudden it can. So it's it like, can't write as well as a copywriter can. And no. then it actually sometimes can if you can. if you prompt it well. Yeah. It's yes. all about how you use so, it. Yeah. And so that's the point I want to make is okay, 
the company wants to start using AI. And, you know, the editor may or may not be apprehensive to it or may be open to it. But uh, who? here's the thing, though. Who's going to get trained on it? The, the content, the, the developer, the writer, the curriculum developer, the copywriter, like who is going to be the one who's that gatekeeper on how to use it in the office? Because not everybody is up to date. So Mm -hmm. maybe they would rely on the editor to do that. So it still needs somebody to put in the correct prompts to know how to use it. The corporate office would pay me to take your class or some staffer to take the class, you know, so that they can understand the nuances behind it. And, um, Last week, it kind of blew my mind in the class. We put in a little passage that Aaron, I'll just tell a little story about it, a little passage that Aaron created. We we plugged it into ChatGPT and we told it to edit. And then I saw like 50% changed. And it, it shows you the percentage. It shows you the markups. Then I told it to copy edit. That's a, There's a difference. Mm-hmm. The copy edit changed 30, 20 to 30 something percent. And I saw, okay, whoa, now, I mean, it knows the difference between just a straight up edit, which can be subjective in nature because it, you know, you can restructure a whole thing, uh, a whole, a whole thing, a whole sentence, a whole paragraph, even, uh, recasting sentences to make it clearer, more concise. But when you copy edit, you have to honor the author's voice and chat GPT did do that. It did honor the, the, the passage that Aaron created, or maybe, I don't know, chat GPT created created it. (laughs) And then you, why would I take the time (laughs) to write something to practice with when I can have chat GPT do it? Because that's the entire point is using it to be more efficient. So that saved me like an hour right there. Not having to write that. Yeah, exactly. And I love that you inserted errors, intentional errors to see how it would pick them up. And it did. Um, so anyway, that's just a little snippet of what Aaron is showing us what, what AI can do and, and that it is used as a tool in that way. It is, and it's used in a very, um, in a positive way, uh, you know, but it does take that person to know how to use it. And I think that person, you know, inevitably is the editor, you know, who's going to take that time to invest in using AI as a tool why would you put a curriculum developer or somebody whose who's sole focus is to create um, the infrastructure for like a program or something? I'm coming up with a hypothetical uh, when they should be kind of focused in one area. You know, you still need that, like I'm saying, that editor to be that voice of reason or something. I think I everybody know. should learn how to use it. And I, yeah. and I fully expect that it's going to change the jobs of all of those different people that you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah, so not, just editors, think, not just editors, you're right. Exactly. But yeah. it is going to affect editing and it already has. So it's important to learn how to use it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's so great. Erin, oh, we could talk for hours. Okay, so there's so can, much more. Can we? Can we just can, stay I, here? Yeah. Let's make <laughs> the editor's three hour. The editor's three hour yes. <laughs> episode. Yes. This but special love- three hour episode of the half hour podcast. <laughs> broken into half hour chunks. We'll have like intermission in between the 30 minutes. Okay. So, um, I love, so I, you've gone through this journey, right? You've, you've, you've almost, it's similar to what I went through when I first heard about it. I like had this re, like recoil of like, how dare this computer take over my job. And then once I, once it, uh, once the dust settled, I was like, crap, I need to learn this. 
Um, I love that we talked about your perspective on like the corporate setting and where it fits in and that it should not, it should be embraced. I, and I like that you said that um, versus it becoming uh, a def- like creating a defense around it as, you know, we are still holding on to the integrity of what editors do. There's nothing, you know, negative about that when you use AI. Um, but yeah, there is still that gray area, right? So that's where it becomes a little that there's still, it's still there. It's still going to be part of future conversations, but what is your Aaron survey? What is your prediction for not just 2024? What do you think? Where do you think this is going? Uh, based on the trends that you've seen this year, what do you think? We're at the end of the year now. Last podcast episode of 2023. What do you? What's your? What's your opinion? What is your? Uh, if you have some foresight into the next year, what's going to happen with AI? I mean, we already said it's probably going to keep being. It's never going away. It's not going away. But what do you think? We expect to happen. I can make some educated guesses based okay. on everything that I've read and how I've studied. Mm-hmm. And what I tell people is that I expect that editors are going to be using ChatGPT or one of the programs like it every day in their work. Okay. And that with copy editing, jobs are going to be changing in that editors will be more running the programs that do the copy editing versus doing the copy editing themselves. Because why would you have someone move commas inside quotation marks and find missing periods and spending all that time doing that when you can have a program that can just do it in seconds? And then that editor can go on to refine that text even further. So it's not taking something away from an editor, but it's helping them do even more with their time is how I see it. So I think editors will be doing that, running the programs and not just copy editors, content editors too. Um, They can get the program to look at the text and do a, a first pass, tell them where they need to focus, what the strengths and weaknesses are of the writing to, so that they save the time of doing that entire first read through. So they can take the time that they have left to elevate the text even further. I love that. That's a really positive outlook. Honestly, I was not expecting that answer and I love it. It sounds like if I were to paraphrase and correct me if I'm wrong, it kind of sounds like editors are, are will just inevitably be a little bit more sophisticated in the sense of they're going to be, they're, they're heightened a little more on evaluating content versus just focusing on, you know, the, the, there's the grammar and punctuation side, but then deeper, like you said, is that right? You think I absolutely, absolutely. I love that. That's a really positive outlook. So some last words of encouragement, Aaron, I love that. This is a very positive, I feel really good, honestly, hearing your outlook for the future. Like I said, there is that underbelly of this topic and it feels gross and icky and it's like, ugh, but hearing your perspective honestly made me feel like refreshed little, like, yeah, we got this. Like, it's not, it's not scary. So what, what would you say to an editor who comes across your path and is like, Oh, I'm scared of it. <laughs> what are some words of encouragement that you would give that editor 
who is very apprehensive to even talk about it. There is a lot of doom and gloom and a lot of sensationalized stories everywhere. So it's easy to feel that way. And I, as I said, I was a little scared too, whenever I first started working with it until I learned how to use it and how to use it properly and which version to use, which means don't judge it based on the free version. The free version sucks. It absolutely just sucks. So pay $20 to try out the paid version and it'll just amaze you. And once you learn how to use it and feel empowered because you know the proper tools to use and and methods to use with it and see just what it can produce and how much faster and more accurate and just better at your job it can make you, then you should feel less scared. It's just one of these technological waves that we find ourselves in that humans have gone through since before the printing press. And that's the time that we're in right now. It's a shift that we'll need to adjust to, but we're all in it together. We're all riding the wave together and we can take some, uh, find some strength in that sense of community as we embrace this change. How's that (laughs) for final words of wisdom? There you go. I hope I'm not hurting ears listening to the audio. I'm clapping into the microphone. Thank you, Erin. That was so well said, so positive. It's so encouraging. And I hope listeners gain a lot of positivity from this episode. I hope that there's less of that fear and more of that open-mindedness to embrace a new technology that's new to us. Um, Erin, thank you so much. You are just awesome. Can I just say another thing about you? I wanted to mention earlier is that Erin is going to be an instructor next year for UCSD Extension. Your your class is on, it is a copy editing class, right? Mm -hmm. I'm teaching copy editing three. So it's the more advanced copy editing class starting in winter starting in winter. So just Google her name and she'll, she'll, she'll pop up in your search and you'll see all the wonderful things that Erin does and is involved in. She's heavily involved in ACES. She's on the board. This is all intro topic stuff that I'm bringing up at the end of the conversation that we just kind of glazed over the fact that like, I was just so damn excited to start this interview, but Erin is, is she's, she knows her stuff. She's very, um, deep in the industry And you're also the founder of the Editor's Tea Club that I wanted to mention too. So look that up and and ask Erin questions about Editor's Tea Club. There's a lot to be said for what our editorial community has created. Editors need to stick together. And it's just such a wonderful thing. So this is making me want to bring up something very exciting that's happening in my company. Um, I am going to launch a product for the very first time. And it's not a book but it's affirmation cards for editors. And these are just, it's a, it's an idea that came to me because I do feel that editors are working in isolation. I mean, that's a fact. We work in isolation, whether it's on a manuscript or educational materials, and we, we tend to self-doubt or we question our edits, even if it's something as simple as a comma, like, Ah, oh, I think it goes there, but I don't know. And then you you start to feel like you're a bad editor, even though you have 
10 plus years experience editing. Um, it happens. I think it happens to all of us. And so I create, I'll hold this up. It's a box of affirmation cards. Um, I am going to, I'm working on it. This is the proof. I'm working on changing the lettering to white. So it can, it's a little bit more legible right now. It's got a gold foil stamp. Um, and, uh, it's got a magnetic box. So it'll look a little different when you see it in person. Uh, but it, we open up and there's a little letter and a little bio and information about me, my company, and then a nice little detailed letter about why I, oops, there it is, why I wrote these, why I did these. Um, it's kind of like a little positivity in your life. And, um, maybe some, uh, I don't know, boost, a daily boost to your, uh, <laughs> editorial, uh, routine in the morning or at the end of the day, I don't know, but these are the cards I'm holding them up. Uh, there's different colors, uh, that match the brand of peak publishing and it comes with a little insert, a little wood insert and you stick your card in. Um, I will read one out loud. I'll just read one that I wrote. Um, I am proficient in using editing tools and software to streamline the process. Uh, here is the little wood piece that you stick the card in and it's just a daily reminder of positivity. I can read one more, uh, that I really love this. Oh, this is a good one. I am a problem solver who finds creative solutions to editing challenges. And I think that speaks to a lot of us, regardless of what you edit. Some of these affirmation cards may be geared to fiction editors, but I tried my best to keep the majority of them focused on all types of things that come up in the editorial world, whether it's fiction or nonfiction. So again, more information will be on my website. I'm going to be launching these, a pre-launch, a soft launch uh, soon at the end of this year. Uh, but I'm really hoping to um, expand these into next year and hopefully have them at ACES to sell. So I'm really excited. I know ACES is going to be in San Diego next year. There's a lot to look forward to. Uh, so again, I just can't thank you enough, Erin, for your time today. This was a really, really great interview with uh, a lot of positivity surrounding AI, and it doesn't have to be as scary as we think it is. Thank you again. Well, thank you, Nadia. Thank you for listening to the Editor's Half Hour. This podcast is your go-to resource for editorial trends, opening the discussion for new ideas through the real-life stories of editors. For more information about Nadia Jaja Pupa and her business, visit peakpublishing.com. That's P-I-Q-U-E publishing.com. Be sure to follow Peak Publishing on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And remember to subscribe and follow The Editor's Half Hour wherever you get your podcasts.